Oh God, thank you for this book of truth. Give us faith to believe it. Amen. So today is day 17, and we're starting to look at one of my favorite Bible characters and his very interesting life, Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. So we will get into it. This is a little insight to begin. Following this basically genealogical account of Esau's family, the Genesis record focuses with greater detail upon Jacob and his descendants, for it is through the descendants of Jacob, now called Israel, that the promised blessings are to come. Taking a leading role in the continuing saga of Israel's son is Israel's son, Joseph. Israel's special fondness for Joseph, and perhaps Joseph's own attitude, lead to envy and hatred by Joseph's brothers. Their behavior toward Joseph and toward their own father is hardly worthy of the important positions they will later occupy as the heads of the tribes, which together form the nation of God's people. And now into scripture with Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he said. So he said to them, he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. 
Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will, gain, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, what can, where can I turn now? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And now back to an insight. As Joseph becomes a slave in an Egyptian household, a most fascinating story is unfolding back in Canaan involving Judah, one of Israel's sons by Leah. It concerns the ancient custom of estates, quite foreign to modern thinking, in which the brother of a deceased man, having no children, marries the brother's wife so that the brother's lineage and property as well may continue through a proper line of succession. Disgrace comes when Onan, one of Judah's sons, goes through the sex act with his brother's wife, Tamar, but purposely prevents any offspring from being born. There follows a rather curious story of Tamar, who re revolves, resolves to bear a child by Judah himself. Back to scripture, chapter 38. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hirah. There Judah met the daughter of Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. 
Then Judah said to Anan, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, for he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hera, the Adolamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. What will you give me to sleep with you? she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, after he, she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adullamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, See if you recognize those whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shalah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out, and she said, So this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was given the name Zerah. And an insight coming. The most important aspect of this seemingly insignificant story will come to light only after many centuries have passed. At that time, it will become evident that a descendant of Judah through Perez 
will become God's messenger to all mankind, the Messiah. <laughs> and that's day 17. So here we see the beginning of Joseph's fascinating life. And um, I think it's kind of humorous and pretty typical. As a 17-year-old boy, he's boastful and he's telling on his brothers, giving a bad report of them and really being super irritating to his big brothers. And that sounds pretty normal for a 17-year-old boy. And his brothers just come to hate him so much that they want to kill him. And I thought it was interesting how when um, Joseph told that second dream to his father about father and mother and brothers bowing down before him, his brothers just hated him more and more. But Jacob kept the matter in his mind. So I'm wondering, was he thinking that maybe this could be God speaking through Joseph's dream and maybe something is coming? So perhaps Jacob had a little insight there. So um, the brothers, of course, um, decide to sell him instead. And when they bring that bloody coat of many colors back to uh, Jacob, they let him come to his own conclusion about what happened to Joseph. I'm, I'm wondering if that's not a little bit of a, uh, a word that um, they were trying to rationalize or have a future rationalization to say, we didn't lie about it. We didn't tell you that Joseph was dead you came to that conclusion yourself, but they certainly didn't deny that, of course. They're just glad to be rid of their brother. And um, as it goes through, when um, Tamar, of course, through the deception, becomes pregnant, she has twins also. And um, I think it could be maybe a foreshadowing. It's very similar to J the Jacob and Esau birth, where um, the firstborn should have been the one who received the blessing and the birthright, but the secondborn actually did. And um, here with Tamar's twins, the one who should have been first with the scarlet um, band, uh, thread around his wrist, um, he actually became the second, and the one who should have been second, actually became the one that God chose to continue the bloodline all the way to Jesus. So um, could this also be a foreshadowing of later when Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first? I don't know, maybe a little bit, but it reminds us not to be so um, arrogant and assume your own importance just because of the position that you have in life. That may not be, or it certainly isn't, <laughs> what God looks at. So those are just a couple of points to ponder that I thought about. And we shall see you next time.